0: Oh, turn it up. Got your icon pass slash it. Huh, 50 plus Speaking of, did you get your icon pass yet, Sean? I'm on iconpass.com dropping in right now. Wow, from just two fifty nine adult. Okay, done. Would you all pray with me? O God, make us have perpetual love and reverence for your holy name, for you never fail to help and govern those whom you have set upon the sure foundation of your loving kindness. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today. I'm just kidding. I, I've learned more in the three years that I've been in seminary than, than that. It's, it's been a few years since I, I was last here at, at Calvary. It's been a few years since I worshipped uh, in those pews. The, the last time I set foot in this building, I actually stood right here as I had the opportunity to participate in Tommy Stokes's. Eagle Ceremony. And before that, it was, I was here to celebrate the marriage of one of my closest friends from high school. And before that, it was to celebrate the life of a woman who cared for me, taught me what it meant to be a follower of Christ, and at times didn't mind slapping me in the back of the head when I deserved it. I guess you could say that once I graduated from From college and got married, I took the words written in Ephesians five thirty one and Genesis two twenty four pretty literally. I was raised in this church. My mom pointed out at the first service this morning; she's here for her second one. um, She pointed out that I've been—I grew up in this church. We arrived here when I was one, one year old, little little guy. But for those of you who who don't know me or the antics that I pulled in this building and the building across the way, you really shouldn't believe any of the stories that Billy Stokes, Greg Shipley, or uh, Ray McKinnon will tell you. And in case you were wondering, this box here in uh, on the pew pad where it says desire call, um, request a call from the pastor, it really does get you a call from the pastor. And if you don't believe me, you can ask Karen Leggett. As a high schooler, I had the opportunity to serve as an usher at the 8.30 service, and Greg Shipley, Dave Mills, and the rest of the team taught me that it is okay to make change out of the offering plate. (laughs) I remember being a part of Mrs. Frank's Sunday school class as a kid. You could call Mrs. Frank's Sunday school class a rite of passage for many of us who grew up in this congregation. I can remember attending my first youth group event at Marcy and Graham Baker's home. Ray McKinnon was my confirmation mentor, and my family even lived down the street, probably five or six houses down from Reverend Gay Smith, who led us in confirmation. But can you imagine living down the street from a pastor? As, you know, a young boy, not only did you have to worry about your parents' Catching you terrorizing the neighborhood. But you also had one of the pastors at your church to worry about as well. When my parents divorced, it was members of this congregation who stepped in to make sure that my siblings and I had the support system in place to help us through the turmoil that accompanies any divorce. When I had to abruptly change high schools a few weeks before the beginning of the school year, it was friends that I had made in youth group that made that transition much easier And it was while on a mission trip to Puerto Rico uh, that I learned from Tom Stokes that structural work doesn't always have to be pretty. And it was members of this congregation that helped me to realize my call to ministry and prepare me for taking the next steps in responding to that call. This congregation is part of my family. I carry what you all have taught me Today, as I try to figure out where I'm called to serve, and for many of you here, and those who are no longer with us, you welcomed me into your family. This morning's reading from Matthew's Gospel is the second part of the commissioning of the Twelve. In the passages prior to this, Jesus tells his disciples that if they join him, they will be, in fact, proclaiming the kingdom of God. The disciples would be proclaiming that the kingdom of God was in the present and not some distant event that they could look forward to or that eventually would occur. And that sounds pretty exciting, right? The Son of God coming down from heaven, inviting someone to participate in building the kingdom of God? Jesus, is, Jesus follows this calling, though, with a warning a warning of persecutions and hardship. And for me, that's when the party ends. Jesus tells the twelve that they would be like sheep sent among the wolves. Oh boy, sign me up. I can only imagine what the disciples must have felt, right? This guy we we just met, uh, a guy who most in our religious communities think are, is completely off his rocker, wants us to proclaim the kingdom of God, his kingdom, a, procl- a proclamation that would upset the religious and political establishment. Oh wait, then he tells us that while we're doing it, we're going to be arrested, taken before the courts, and then flogged. Where do we sign up? And this brings us to today's passage. Jesus explains that that nothing will be kept secret from those who proclaim the word of God. What he whispers into the ears of the disciples, they are to shout from the rooftops. They are not to fear because Jesus will be with anyone who proclaims the kingdom of God. Jesus explains that he has come to upset the sensibilities of the first century Roman Empire. He explains that the persecutions will come not only to the first twelve, but also to the saints who are to follow. Families will turn against one another, brother against sister, mother against daughter, and husband against wife. Jesus is coming into the world with a sword and and intends to disrupt the lives of all those who will come into contact with not only him, but also anyone who hears his message of peace, reconciliation, and love. This this reading from Matthew's Gospel supports Dr. Will Willeman's assertion that Jesus is actually a homewrecker. Will is a professor at Duke Divinity and is one of the most influential voices in the American church. And in his book titled Why Jesus, Will lays out the title or lays out why the title of Christian, the title that all of us assumed at our baptism, takes priority over our family name and any other titles that we give to ourselves. The church is a new family made up of those who have heard and responded to Jesus' invitation to follow and proclaim. The title Christian is superior to the American individualism that we all cling to, and by doing so, we're able to gather at the table in open fellowship with sinners and outcasts, calling them sister or brother. The body of Christ, the church, those gathered here this morning, or down the street this morning, or in Virginia this morning. Those of us who gather to worship in the morning and praise God are called to take this same barrier-breaking quality that Jesus himself took on into our everyday lives. When Jesus began his ministry, he, he left his family. He left Mary and Joseph, who... At his birth created controversy for his family. He left them so that a new family might be formed. The open table of of fellowship that he practiced and that we practice today is a mirror of the scandalous proclamation that all are loved by God and worthy of being treated with the love, respect, and dignity due to someone who is created in the image of God. Living a life this way Living in a way that values all people regardless of who they are, what they've done, who they love, how much money they lack, or the mistakes they continue to make is what proclaiming the kingdom of God is all about. Jesus was always looking for fellowship with those who were considered to be lost or outcast. We read about it in when he meets with lepers, when he Forgives adulterers when he speaks of Samaritans. By by calling his disciples and telling them, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a a sword. For I have come to set man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And if you've ever had in-laws, you know how easy that can be. The ones and one's foes will be members of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up the cross and follow is not worthy of me. Those who find their lives, who, who, those who find their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. What Jesus is saying here. Jesus is is telling the twelve that they are to look to one another and him as their family. He is telling them that he is breaking up their families. He's going down to the shores, taking fishermen, telling them to leave their nets, their boat, and their elderly father to join him and join a new family. If you've ever pledged a fraternity or joined a social or civic organization, then you know that before you can fully become a member of that group, there's an initiation process you must go through. The process may be uh, a formal, listed, bullet point by bullet point requirement, or it may be unwritten rights that are common to that community. The early church had a process just like that. It was called catechism. And candidates would be instructed in the teachings of Christ as well as the rules of the church. And then on Easter Eve, they would stand watch. Later, as the sun rose, they would be stripped naked, and then they would be baptized. Now, some things have changed over the years. And like I told my confirmants. A few weeks ago, they should be happy that some of those things have changed. The idea that you first must be taught and then born anew through water has been an initiation that all Christians have experienced. Through baptism, we respond to Jesus' demand for our lives, and we're able to find new life in Him. Through baptism, we join the family of living disciples as well as the saints who have gone before us. When we lose our lives to Christ, we are joining a larger family of followers. This community is a family. The community that Allison, Camden, and I are a part of is a family. The church down the street that's meeting right now is also a family. But more importantly, we take all of these individual congregations, we bring them together, and they are part of the larger family that is found in the body of Jesus Christ. It's easy to view faith as an experience of us and them. But if you've ever been part of a mission trip where multiple congregations have gathered or an interdenominational worship service or shared in the Eucharist while visiting a family out of town, then you know that the God that they worship is the same God that we are worshiping here this morning. And you know that the same Jesus who is calling them there is calling us here. Now, this doesn't mean that there won't be turmoil or conflict. Jesus promises it. It shouldn't be a surprise to us. Conflict among individual communities as well as conflict throughout the wider church isn't something exclusive to the 21st century church. We can read about it in Paul's Letters, And I don't want to diminish or degrade strongly held church doctrines or beliefs, but we cannot continue to allow disagreements over silly things like who or cannot be part of our community, or who or cannot lead our communities to divide us anymore. The public arguments that go on in the church today, the scandals, the continued debate on marriage, Those are similar to a family having an all-out shouting match on their front yard while the entire neighborhood watches. The idea that whether you agree or disagree with Mark Driscoll or Joel Osteen or Will Willimon or Stanley Hauerwas or me, that shouldn't decide how much of a Christian you really are, and all it adds to is that the front yard blowout that the rest of the neighborhood is watching just gets bigger and bigger. The neighbors are watching. They're watching us now. And like a train wreck, the onlookers are wondering just how much carnage will be left when the dust settles. Families fight. Children fight. Ask my brother. And my time as a youth pastor showed me that teenage children can become full of attitude and disrespect overnight. However, when these things occur, families always embrace the idea that blood, the blood shared by the family, is stronger than any disagreement or fight that might occur while the entire family is gathered at crazy Aunt Glenda's house for Thanksgiving. The blood of Christ, the blood poured out on on the sword that we hear about in Matthew's Gospel today, that is the sword that Jesus brought into the world that's stronger than any doctrinal disagreement that the church had in the past or that we're going to have today. Whether it was a disagreement about what happens when the elements of, commun- or of communion are blessed. Or even who's allowed to bless those elements. Or who can be baptized and how they should be baptized. What kind of water should they use? Should it be running? Should it be sprinkled? Should they go fully under? Can it just be poured on their head? The church has survived. The body of Christ has survived and will continue to survive. And the proclamation that the original twelve started will continue. When we turn on one another and we begin to have that front lawn shouting match where we're swinging lawn furniture at each other and grandma's coming out and hosing us down with the hose, we're no longer able to listen to one another. We're just yelling. And when we're just yelling at each other, we're no longer prepared or able to face the persecutions that we know are coming, the persecutions that Jesus has promised us when we turn on one another over which type of music should or should not be played during worship, or what our clergy should or should not wear during worship, or if we're really helping the right people with our mission work, we are no longer able to face the world that is going to betray us, hate us, and persecute us. When we accept the sacrificial obedience required of us by Christ's commission, we're able to move beyond the sacrificial obedience. Divisions we create and respond fully to the calling that God has placed on each of us. As communities of faith, we stand together not to highlight our, our own accolades or our own interests, but instead we, we gather and we stand together to call attention to the risen Christ and the kingdom of God that is present here and now. A kingdom that we can actively strive to further in everything that we do. We know that it won't be easy, and we know that there will be those who stand to prevent us from standing firm in our convictions and our responsibilities as called disciples of Christ. But we know, we know that our risen Lord stands with us in everything that we do, whether it's leading vacation Bible school, traveling around the world to serve the poor, standing up for the oppressed and outcasted, or simply aiding one another in our unfaith journey. Christ is standing beside us, walking beside us, holding our hand and aiding us through the task. When we read, when we, when we read Matthew's Gospel, it's, it's really important for us to remember that Matthew assumes we know the story. Matthew assumes that we know the underlying basics of what happened with, with Jesus. How he came into the world, how he served, and eventually how he would die. So the author is assuming that we then, because we have the same basic knowledge that the disciples had, that in order to discover what it means to be a faithful church, we're going to learn like the disciples did. We're going to learn by taking action. We're going to learn by taking action the same way the disciples did. Not as individuals. Jesus didn't send the disciples out as individuals, He didn't send them out one by one. But instead, we're going to serve and we're going to learn and we're going to grow as a faithful family of disciples who works together to proclaim the kingdom of God. The memories that I have uh, from being a part of this family of faith are what I've carried with me today and reflected upon as Allison and I have started our own family. It's my prayer that, that Camden, uh, our 10-month-old son, will experience the same love, grace, and support that so many of us have experienced here and elsewhere when we gather as faithful disciples. There's an old saying that blood is thicker than water. And that wholeheartedly is true. The blood of Christ, the blood that binds us together together, Here is thicker than the waters we were born through. The blood of Christ is thicker than the turbulent waters we experience as we continue to proclaim the kingdom of God. The peace of God is offered to us regardless of our past, regardless of the past we try to hide from one another, and the past that we hold against one another. We have been washed clean by the blood of Christ, it binds us today. It will bind us tomorrow. It will keep us as faithful servants in families in Christ. I offer it to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.